today's sermon passage is from Matthew 21, 1 through 17. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and brought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you. You may be, may be seated. As you take your seats, please uh, find a Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 21, where Katie was just reading for us. Um, as we begin this morning, let me just say a word of thanks to all of you who have um, prayed for and encouraged um, the work that my wife and I were able to do in Eastern Europe over the last uh, week or so. Um, We are so thankful to be home. We are so full and encouraged by what God allowed us to be a part of. And we are thankful to all of you who have supported and prayed and encouraged. We owe you a greater explanation. And we can't do that in a setting that is broadcast or recorded. So we will be sharing a little more about um, our trip and our mission uh, at our covenant gathering next Sunday evening. So please make plans to, to come and join us there. Also, um, you may know that we have a team of church folks and teenagers in Nicaragua right now um, doing gospel work there. And so I encourage you to be praying for them. And um, they w- we will be giving you a very, very shortened, jet-lagged summary of their work next Sunday evening at our covenant gathering as well. So with that, um, let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we pray that you would speak to us today from your word. We pray that you would help us see Jesus as he is and trust him. 
We pray that you would cause us to hear the words and see the work of Jesus and be filled with faith and hope and confidence in him and therefore in you. We pray that everyone in this room would have an encounter with Christ that would bring faith and would bring salvation. So our great God, we pray that you would speak to your people today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, friends, here at Redeemer, we are studying our way through uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, the Gospel of Matthew is one of four books in the Bible that's written to tell in a convincing, coherent way the story of Jesus that would move the readers to trust in him, to believe in him, to follow him, to serve him. And today, we come to a pivot or a kind of a change of topic in the story of Matthew. From chapter 21 to the end, um, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. This is no mere trip to Jerusalem, but this is the trip to Jerusalem where his earthly ministry will be finished, where he will defeat sin and death, where he will bring salvation to his people and where he will be forever established as God's king over all. This is what's coming in Matthew 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28. We might be done by next Easter. We might not. We'll see. There's some hard passages coming. I might still have a job at the end. I might not. We'll see. Just so you know, I'm on team. Have a job. Just. I want to get that clear. What we see in this passage today is Jesus entering Jerusalem. And in entering Jerusalem, this is not just another trip into the city. It's a prolonged visit where his earthly ministry will be completed. And his entrance is intended to declare something about his kingdom. His entrance is intended to declare something about his kingdom. And what it's declaring is this. He is the king over God's people, always and forevermore. But the kingdom of Jesus doesn't look like any other earthly kingdom. And even his entrance And what he carries out is is laying out, like, I'm here, I'm the one, I'm the king, follow me. But what I'm doing and where I'm going is not what you're most likely expecting, but trust me, I'm the one that God has sent. That's what is being declared in this very common passage. So let's look at it together. We're going to entitle this sermon, Hosanna. And the question mark is intentional because what you have in the story are some people who see Jesus and what he's doing and they shout in worship and praise, Hosanna. And then we see others confronted with what he's teaching and what he's doing 
And they're questioning, should we be saying this to Jesus? This tension of is he the one and should we be giving him the praise that he's claiming is the tension that will carry the rest of Matthew's gospel. And quite frankly, it's the tension that carries the history of the church. And it's the tension that carries us today. Will we worship and follow and serve Jesus for who he is and what he's done? Or will the ways in which the kingdom and work of Jesus doesn't fit our theoretical ideas, will that become a stumbling block for us? So the title is intended to call upon you to wrestle with this question as you wrestle with the passage. How will I respond to this Jesus? So if you want to take notes this morning, our first point is entering Jerusalem. Entering Jerusalem. So notice how the passage begins. Now when they entered Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. And notice how the passage ends in verse 17. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. So Jesus begins the passage in the Mount of Olives. He ends the passage back in the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is a region just outside of Jerusalem. And... Um, Maybe like the suburbs of the suburbs would be a way to think of that. And so when Jesus pops in and out of the Mount of Olives, we shouldn't think of that as him leaving Jerusalem as much as that's where he's staying and he's going to be carrying out his work and ministry in the heart of the city. But this time when Jesus enters Jerusalem, he doesn't enter it in any small way. This is, the, the, the entire setup is not intended to convey, hey, let's just pop down to Jerusalem and do a little work and let's come back. It's intended to convey that this visit is unique. This visit is pivotal. And this visit is not to be missed. In this visit, what we as Christians now know as Holy Week, the last week in the earthly life of Jesus begins. And it's all set up in such a way that two things happen. Jesus fulfills the scripture. He, he fulfills promises made about him. And it's made very clear to the city of Jerusalem and to its religious leader, leaders that Jesus is here and Jesus is at work. Now, the way the story plays out is Jesus says, I want to two of his disciples, I want you to go into the village, find a donkey and a colt tied up with the mother, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say, the Lord needs them, and he'll send them at once. Now, friends, this is a bit of a perplexing send-off, isn't it? Hey, I got a special, 
special thing I want you to do. I want you to go into the city, find two donkeys, just grab them, just grab them. And if anybody questions, you just say, hey, God needs it. Like, kids, let me encourage you not to try this at home, okay? Like, don't go to Walmart this afternoon and claim that the Lord needs it, okay? Like, that's not how it works. But in this particular instance, this is how God was unfolding his plan and his will and his work. He sends them in, and they come back with the donkeys. Now, Matthew inserts in verse 4 a very important explanatory factor. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, and in classic Matthew fashion, he takes two prophets, two passages, conflates them together to make it really easy for us to find it in Sunday school. But speaking from Zechariah 9.9 with a little Isaiah 62.11 mixed in, God had promised to his people that their king would come to them. But when he comes, he would come humble, mounted on a donkey, on the colt of a donkey, on the foal of a beast of burden. So God had long said, your king's coming. I'm sending him, but he's not coming like any other king. He's not coming in victory. He's coming in humility. He's not coming on a war horse. He's coming on a donkey. Jesus is carrying out this entrance as an intentional fulfillment of promises whereby he is declaring, I am God's savior. This is no accident. And so it went like this. The disciples went to the city excuse me, the village, they took the colts, or they took the donkeys, they brought them to Jesus. The disciples took off their cloaks and put them on the donkeys. Jesus sits on the cloaks of the disciples on the foal. And they begin to ride into the city into Jerusalem. And as an act of honor and an act of acknowledgement of who Jesus is, they throw their cloaks on the ground, they cut branches, and they put the branches on the ground so that the donkey carrying Jesus walks over the cloaks and the branches and not over the road alone. And they shout... A glorious welcome. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It says those in front of him and those behind him were shouting this. Now let's pause. What what do these words mean? Hosanna. Literally, the word Hosanna means God save. So in its most literal sense, to cry Hosanna would be crying out, Lord, save us. We look to you, Jesus, the son of David. Blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. 
But over time, this phrase, Hosanna, had been used so much that its meaning had kind of evolved. Like, you know how we Christians have church words that only make sense inside the church? By the way, if you don't know that, you should clue into that. Like, we Christians, we have church words that only mean what we think they mean inside the church. And when we go outside the church, like, meaning's lost. So most scholars believe that over time, this phrase, Hosanna, had evolved from a a cry, save us, to a cry of, God, you who saves us, be praised and be worshipped. So the, the evolution of the phrase is actually elevating and escalating what it's saying, what they're crying to Jesus is, you are the one who saves us and to you is worthy praise. It's a statement of identity. It's a statement of his character. It's a statement of who he is. It's a statement of either worship or blasphemy. For if Jesus is the true son of David, who truly has come in the name of the Lord to truly bring salvation to God's people, then he is worthy of this acclamation. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. Praise him who saves. And if he's not, then it's a blasphemous state. We'll come to the blasphemous part in a few minutes. Now, there's an obscure thing about the passage. It says, the crowds that went before him and the crowds that followed him were shouting this. But, but like, what if after church, I grabbed two or three of you and said, hey, let's, walk, let's march over to the ministry center. And I need two of you behind me and two of you in front of me shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. I mean, is that what's going on here? Like, did the 12 disciples just kind of divide themselves up six and six and and march him into the city? No, that's not what's going on here. It would have been right and truthful and good if they would have, but there's something far more going on here because it appears that the entire city took notice of what was going on. Verse 10, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this. And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So the entourage moving Jesus into the city was of such a growing magnitude that the whole city took notice and was stirred up. Now that doesn't mean every single person in the city heard and saw and took notice, but it means that Jerusalem knew that Jesus had come to town. And it means that Jerusalem knew that Jesus had come to town claiming to be the Messiah, that, that Jesus had come to town claiming to be the one whom God had sent to redeem his people. This is no secretive visit. This is a very public visit. And if you're a student of the Gospels, this is of huge significance because how many times has Jesus thus far done something miraculous and then said, don't tell anyone, right? Why not? Because my time's not yet come. But here Jesus tells the disciples to go and get the donkeys 
and he puts into motion the plan to announce his arrival in Jerusalem where he will take his place as the king over God's people. So what's going on in this passage, in this story, is Jesus is fulfilling the promises of God. He's fulfilling the scriptures about him. He is carrying out the actions that are intended to point big fingers at this is the one. Don't miss him. He is the one. And second, Jesus is making it very clear to Jerusalem, to the people of Jerusalem, to the religious leaders in Jerusalem, that he has come to town. And he's come to town to to rightfully take his place as God's chosen servant to rule and lead God's people. This account is intended to push this question before us. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Because if you're there in Jerusalem that day when this played out, you can't deny what just happened. Like it happened before you. But it begins as the whole last week of his life escalates and escalates and escalates. It begins to put this question before us, who is Jesus? And how will we respond to him? Who is Jesus? And how will we respond to him? And the first thing that this story gives us to wrestle down that question is this. Jesus, in his life, fulfilled promises that God had given as pointers to his Messiah. So every time through the Gospel of Matthew, and there's hundreds of them, When Matthew says Jesus did this to fulfill the scripture, what Matthew is saying is Jesus did this so they would know that he's the one God had promised. So that they would know he's the one that God had promised. When we're filled with doubt, when we're filled with intellectual questions, when we're filled with logical questions that our logic courses can't fully solve, The scripture is where God gives his people assurance. Now, before we plunge into the second point, just remember this. The history of the Jewish people in this time frame was filled with supposed messiahs rising up and coming to Jerusalem and rising up and coming to Jerusalem and rising up and coming to Jerusalem. So if you're living there that day watching this story unfold, this is probably not the first time you've seen someone ride into Jerusalem claiming to be God's messiah. 
So this question of how do we respond to him is of great importance. Now, how do we respond to him pushes us to our second point. It's complicated. It's complicated. Responding to Jesus isn't complicated, but if you're in first century Jew waiting on deliverance by God, particularly believing the deliverance would come from the Romans, be del- being delivered from the Romans, what Jesus comes to do is, is a bit complicated for you. So the expectation was Messiah will come, he will set up an earthly throne, and he will rule over God's people, and we will walk in God's blessings. So, so put your expectation hat on, and now notice what happens in verse 12. Jesus entered the temple. Oh, oh, this is getting good. The Messiah's come to town, and now he's gone to the temple where God is worshipped, and people come to bring offerings for the forgiveness of their sin. Like, like he's about to take his rightful place. This is going to be good. But then notice what Jesus does. He goes to the temple and he rebukes the religious practices taking place in the temple. He goes to the temple and he redefines what ought to be happening in the temple. He goes to the temple and he challenges the leaders of the temple. It says, he went to the temple And he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the table of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Now, I'm not going to go down too deep of a tangent today about money and church and money changers. Um, We can talk about that over lunch sometime. But this is what you need to know. The money changers and the people selling stuff, they weren't trying to make the temple into Walmart. They weren't doing that. Rather, they thought they were serving the worship of God. Clearly, they were wrong, but they thought they were serving the worship of God. So the money changers were changing coins that had Caesar's imprint on them into coins that could be given for worship. You didn't want to bring a Caesar as Lord coin, metaphorically, into the temple. Secondly, they were selling, because people had to journey to Jerusalem, they were were selling items to be offered to the Lord. So I'm not vindicating them. I'm just letting you know, like, when we want to start working toward application of that little verse toward us, it's got to flow through. They really thought they were serving the people. They really thought they were doing a good thing. But Christ saw it as making money off God's people gathered and he turned their tables upside down and he rebuked them, verse 13, saying, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. So they thought they were doing a good thing, but there was some unspoken piece of all of this where Jesus believed that they were turning the house of God into a house of robbers. My 
house shall be called a house of prayer. So Jesus goes to the temple and rather than vindicating the temple, he challenges the practices of the people in the temple. So remember that prayer at the beginning of this sermon, Lord, help us to follow you as you are? Friends, I love Redeemer Church. I would go nowhere else in this community. I would go nowhere else in this city. But the idea that Jesus wouldn't challenge our practices in some way is ludicrous. He would. If we knew what they were, we would repent and change. But the point is, will we follow the Christ who even rebukes us because he wants us to follow him purely. Then it tells us, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Jesus begins performing miracles in the temple. And what he's doing is he's making the unacceptable acceptable for worship in the house of God. By making the blind see and the lame healed, he's making them able to come in and worship the Lord purely. He's doing what the money changers and the guys selling offerings were trying to do. Make the people acceptable before God. He's doing it. The children of the temple carry on the theme, Hosanna to the son of David. And we're told the chief priests and the scribes see this and they fell down and they worshiped him and they received their Messiah. No, some of you are looking at me like, dude, are we reading the same Bible? No. No, they see it and they were indignant. And they tried to rebuke Jesus. Like, hey, maybe he doesn't understand. Like, let's give him a chance to, to, to back the truck up a little bit. Do you hear what they're saying? Jesus says, yes. They're doing what Psalm 8 promised. Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise. They are responding rightly to me. So the right response to Jesus is the children in the temple crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. You are the one who saves us. You are the one who is worthy of praise. You are the king who is to come and deliver the people. We align with you. We worship you. We trust in you. So Jesus hasn't come to town simply to give victory to God's people, but Jesus has come to town to save and deliver God's people even from themselves. Jesus has come to town to challenge and rebuke what needs to be challenged and rebuked. Jesus has come to town to deliver and redeem God's people. By putting these two stories together, what Matthew is showing us is the king entered as the king was ordained by God to enter. And the king went to the temple and challenged the practices of the people 
because they were not faithful to the Lord. This story is going to move forward not in the way that was anticipated, but it's going to move forward in the only way that has eternal value. Jesus is headed to the cross. Jesus is headed to a sacrificial death. Jesus is headed to a resurrection on the third day. Jesus is headed to an ascension to the right hand of God. This is where he's headed. And it's all of these things, the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the overcoming of sin and death. It's all of these things that make Jesus the eternal king who is worthy of the cry, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. Now, in case you're not going to come back for the next few weeks and journey with us, what's going to play out through the last week of Jesus' life is a growing tension between him and the religious establishment of the day. And it's going to crescendo in his being given over to death. But we must remember, Jesus told his disciples three times, at least three very clear times, that he would die at the hand of the Jewish leaders And the third day he would rise from the dead. The kingdom of Jesus is a kingdom of death that brings life. It's a kingdom of suffering and sacrifice that enjoys eternal joy. It's a kingdom not of immediate gratification and immediate victory, but a kingdom of hope in the God who delivers forever. This kingdom is what he's inviting us into. Immediate power, not the kingdom of Jesus. Immediate honor in the earthly realm, not the kingdom of Jesus. The kingdom of Jesus is one that is sacrificial. It's one that goes through the valley of the shadow of death. It's the one who, because it goes through the valley of the shadow of death, is victorious over sin and death. So the question before us, how do we respond to this Jesus? How do we respond to this Jesus? Friends, if you're with us exploring Christianity, you have questions about Jesus, you have questions about what it would mean to be his child or to follow him, please let us know. Please talk with us. We would love, love, love to help you wrestle with the question, who is this Jesus? A second question for us to ponder. If I belong to God because I belong to Christ? Where might he challenge my religious practice before him? Third question, if I belong to God in Christ, or because we do belong to God in Christ, where where might God challenge us as his people? to be more faithful to him.
our great God, we pray now that you would take this word from your scripture and you would cause us to hear it, receive it, and believe it, to walk in your ways. Shape us and teach us, O oh God, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.